In this episode of the Deal Room podcast, we take a quick run through the area of financial due diligence with Luke Malone from Prosperity Advisors. We cover some of the terminology in this space and many of the issues that should be considered on both the buy side and sell side, including timelines, working out the right level of DD, and some interesting stories about skeletons that can be found in the cupboard. All of this and more in this episode of the Deal Room podcast. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. You're listening to the Deal Room Podcast. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on business sales and acquisitions. Get across trends in the area and hear the industry's best recount their real life tips, traps, and experiences. Now, here's your host, Joanna Oki. Hi, it's Joanna Oki here, and welcome back to the Deal Room Podcast brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we have on the show Luke Malone from Prosperity Advisors to talk to us about the fascinating area of accounting (laughs) due diligence. It is fascinating. It is, absolutely. Very exciting stuff. It is. Uh, So, look, we've spoken on this podcast. Uh, You, as our listener, may recall quite a few times about DD from a legal perspective. But I thought I'd get Luke along today to talk about the accounting and financial perspective to give us something other than just the legal DD side to um, focus on and think about. So, Luke, Welcome on board. Thank you for coming to the deal room to talk today. Thank you very much, Joanna. Great. Look, I want to start off maybe by giving our discussion a little bit of context. So maybe you can just give us a little brief overview of who you are and who you work with in this space. Sure, absolutely. And and thank you very much for the opportunity to talk to your listeners today. Uh, I guess in terms of myself, I've been working uh, as a chartered accountant uh, for the last 20 years, predominant focus in the SME and fast growth businesses area, a lot of entrepreneurial businesses, a lot of businesses looking for growth, acquisitions, potential exit events, but be they through private equity or IPO. So we work very closely with our clients. The clients that we work on are in a variety of industries, but typically range in the sort of 5 million turnover up to a a couple of 100 million turnover usually. And uh, I guess we work collaboratively with them to help them navigate that due diligence pathway. All right, wonderful. Well, look, let's then, let's talk about due diligence. (laughs) Um, So, I'd I'd like to just start off with the basics. So, let's just start right from the ground up. Mm -hmm. What are you usually looking at when you're conducting your financial accounting due diligence? Yeah, I guess uh, if we're doing a uh, financial due diligence Joanna, that uh, is on the, um, I guess, buy side, as, you, as you'd like to call it. We're looking to work closely and collaboratively with our client in looking at that potential target. So, I guess we look at a number of things. Obviously, the historical financial information uh, is critical. So, getting a good understanding of the, uh, the EBITDA and the operating metrics of the business, uh, the revenue, the expenditure profile, trying to help uh, determine what the normalised earnings of that business may be over a three-year three period, for example. I think it might be useful for some of our listeners to dig a little bit into this concept of normalised earnings. So, maybe it can, can you talk briefly about that as well in terms of what you're doing when you're looking at normalised earnings? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, it's usually a key component of the of the DD, the normalised earnings, because it then drives the multiple uh, and I guess the eventual uh, purchase price that that they maybe end up paying for the business. So, making sure that those normalised earnings are, are, are 
well looked at and, and considered is very important. So the normalised earnings themselves is looking to strip out, I guess, transactions that wouldn't be there once the acquirer takes over the business. So that may include things like related party transactions or transactions with existing shareholders such as their salaries and and other fees or, or arrangements with them if they were not to continue in the business. Um, or it may may include other costs that may not be there going forward. So if we were to be able to, for example, remove a warehouse or a, a rental property, uh, lease premises that are no longer required post acquisition, it's those kind of things that we can remove and then give the give the um, the, the acquirer a sense of well, what does the business look like post acquisition. How are you identifying each of these areas to strip out? You know, I, I mean, I can imagine it's quite some probably are fairly obvious, but I, I can imagine there's quite um, a lot of nuance in finding some of the you know. Yeah, there, there certainly is, uh, and I guess it, it takes it takes uh, I guess an experienced team and, and good good people on the ground to to work uh, collaboratively, proactively with the, the target. So there's a lot of time spent on site with their management and getting getting I guess under the bonnet in terms of their 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 P and L and and how their business operates. So getting a real understanding of, of what those transactions may be, working with their finance team and their accountants to to get a sense of what they are, and then obviously coming up with what we think that that normalised earnings should should look like. Okay, great. And I, sorry, I think I interrupted you when you were running through the other things that you look at um, when I wanted to talk a bit more about normalised earnings. Are, are there other, you know, key areas that you're also looking at? Yeah, absolutely, Jonah. So, I guess it, it's then sort of, as I said, the historical financials are uh, a key aspect to give, I guess, the acquirer a sense of, of what that business uh, may be able to generate from for them in the future, uh, what a future forecasts look like as well, and what about the balance sheet? I guess in terms of you know what, what's on the balance sheet, are we comfortable with the accounting treatments that have been adopted? Are they in accordance with accounting standards? Um, are things like their liabilities their, and 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 whatnot complete? Uh, are there any uh, risk areas or or understated? I guess, liabilities, for example, that need to be considered um, in light of the context. Obviously, that then dovetails into the legal process in terms of understanding, you know, what sort of warranties and things that we need to have in the share sale agreement. Are there any particular risks? Um, and then also feeds into it the tax due diligence component of it as well. Mm. Well, that's a really long list there, Luke. <laughs> it is. <laughs> We know why it's sometimes, you know, <laughs> can take a while for this, you know, a proper due diligence process um, mm. to be conducted. But as we all know, transactions differ in um, and in size and in and risks. Sometimes um, those two elements, size and risk, correlate. Sometimes they don't. Yes. Uh, but, you know, and there's always this question, I, I think, you know, let's put our commercial hats on. H- how do we work out what is the right level of due diligence to be looking at? You know, certainly from a legal perspective, that's something that we have to be acutely aware of because there's, to some degree, you know, no end to the amount of legal DD you could do. <laughs> I'm sure it's the same from um, a financial perspective. But we always have to sit here and say, well, what's reasonable and required in the circumstances. So how do you go about that process, Luke, of working out, you know, the right fit for each transaction? Yeah, that's absolutely right, Jonah. I mean, you've got to be commercial and pragmatic about these things. I guess the way that we work and operate in that in that regard is we work closely with our client who's looking to acquire that 
particular uh, business and get an understanding of their risk profile and what they'd like like to see, but at the same time, give them our insights and experience as to what, what we would recommend in terms of the level of due diligence. I guess a current example, we're working with a, a large Chinese listed business that's looking to acquire some businesses here in Australia. Uh, they need a lot of guidance and help because they're not so sure of the Australian regulatory environment um, and they may have a different risk profile to someone that's operating here day-to-day, for example, and the, the amount of years of due diligence they want done, again, may be different to, to someone else that, you know, understands w- what they're going into a little bit better. So Yeah, I think it's a, a fabulous point you make there because um, I think understanding your client is a really important element, but quite often, you know, we, we have clients that have come from a range of um, different countries when buying into Australia, and certainly if they've not had experience in the Australian environment, obviously it becomes an environment where you're providing more of an educational function. Mm, well, absolutely, yeah. Or um, organisations that are based here. Um, yeah, absolutely. But, but it's a about picking that uh, picking that level right, I think, because I think that's where, you know, and certainly complaints I hear around in the industry often revolve around the failure of advisors to pick that level right. I mean, you know, lawyers and accountants mm-hmm. and um, other people in the process. So I think that's a really important consideration for advisors to be making. Yeah, absolutely right. I think, you know, you've got to work very closely with the, the client uh, to help them understand the risks that they're going into and then get the level of work that appropriate for them to match their risk profile as well as obviously the, the, the services they need and the, and the fees and their budget, etc. So it's got to be a collaborative approach working closely with them. There's, base, there's basics that must be covered on all, all financial due diligence that you would say are, are non-negotiable, but there's other parts that, you know, you can, you can work around if, if, if required. And, you know, budget is is an important thing. I, you know, it's good that you've pointed to that. But also, and I also find timeframes, <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm sure you've been in the situation where, you know, you have clients that are wanting um, a DD process to um, to happen as quickly as possible. Yes. And I guess there's, there's other issues for advisors here, you know, in, in managing client expectations mm. as well, you know. To, but finding that fine balance between an appropriate level of investigation into an organisation as well as fitting in with fitting into the commercial imperative of the deal. Absolutely. I, th- I think that's critical uh, in the process and, you know, time is always, a, is always a big constraint. Everyone wants their, their transaction or their deal done quickly and efficiently and I guess we all work hard to make that happen but I think the point you raise is a good one. It's sometimes taking that little bit extra time allows for appropriate consideration of risks and, you know, make sure that the wrong decision isn't made. Yeah. Uh, there's plenty of acquisitions that have been rushed and sometimes the outcomes are not great or, you know, that the appropriate level of due diligence wasn't requested or, or performed. So tell us, maybe do you have some examples of that, Luke? I, I love examples. Mm. <laughs> I love to hear. <laughs> yes, there's a couple of a couple of good examples in, in recent times. Uh, one was a large uh, dairy business, fairly significant transaction. The business was sort of valued around the $200 million level and fairly significant operations in manufacturing in Australia. And I guess the... the, the uh, client was very keen to proceed and, you know, uh, they decided that they thought that they could handle limited due diligence internally and they thought they knew 
the risks. Um, but unfortunately, post that acquisition, um, they suffered some significant poor financial performance and results in that business post-acquisition that was not reflective of what they saw in the, the information they'd been provided. Um, and, I, and I guess they hadn't dug further, far enough into it to, to sort of understand it. So, And so that's the sort of thing you feel that, but that a proper DD process could have picked up. Absolutely. So I guess we then got involved and helped them out with trying to unravel some of the, some of the problems. And I guess we then identified what some of those problems were that you know would have been very apparent had we been involved from the beginning and, and, and performed a complete due diligence process, which you know for that business wouldn't have been a huge amount of money. Um, I guess there was just an imperative to get it done quickly at the time. But if they had stopped, paused and spent a little bit of money, I think they would have saved themselves a lot of the hassle that they subsequently had. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of um, a lot of the issues can occur from um, you, uh, number one. I think in reality, emotion. <laughs> you know, like sometimes there's been a long search. Sometimes it just seems like the right deal is there, um, and you know, all sensible consideration goes out the window. But um, but but I guess the DD process. You know, number one, it doesn't necessarily have to take a massive period of time obviously you know it, it, it depends on the circumstances of um of the business but w- what are some uh, examples uh, i guess of how we can speed up that dd process are there any things that you can think of that can you know provide a situation where uh we can get through it quicker yeah i think a lot of it comes down to uh working collaboratively with the target and and helping them identify ways that we can get the information quickly, uh, depending on the size of the target and the sophistication and the, the maturity of their finance function, you know, it varies. So, sometimes you'll have very good uh, processes and ability to get in financial information quickly. Other times, it's 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 more difficult. And I guess that's where our team likes to get involved and, and sort of walk the target through the process, spend time on site with them and sort of drive through that process to help them. Um, because quite often they're they're resource constrained and you know they've got to run their run, continue to run their business. So it's about us sort of working collaboratively and and sort of fast tracking that that information process and often getting in there, getting access to their systems and just drawing that information out that we need ourselves. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, and I think the interesting thing about DD, and, and, and perhaps it relates to the example you were talking about before um, with your dairy business, I, I see a lot the DD process then potentially being used for uh, re-driving uh, discussion about uh, purchase price, <laughs> you know, um, but but I guess that's the reality. You know, when you are in there looking at the business, there's not. It's not necessarily about yes, we do the deal. No, we don't do the deal. It can also be about well, is the pricing right now that we're looking at the you know the bones of the business. Absolutely. So usually a key component of the financial due diligence process is sort of working out, as I said at the beginning, what's that normalised earnings, what's the, the, the recurring EBITDA. The, the, the existing owners of the business may have a particular view. Uh, once we've completed our procedures, we may have a, a different view. And that could be because accounting treatments and other things are not followed how they should be. Or, you know, that, that there's, there's particular transactions that need to be normalised out, as I said before, so that we can help the help the acquirer work out, okay, well, what is the true 
the true recurring earnings and true EBITDA of the business. And then I guess we can then also work with them to sort of understand what an appropriate multiple in the industry is so that they can then work out, okay, well, what's this business really worth? Mm. And I mean, you know, that's a fascinating uh, topic in and of itself, the uh, appropriate multiple to be using. Um, And there's a lot of discussion around about the difficulty of of picking, you know, appropriate multiples. And of course, you know, multiples are useful to a degree, but at the end of the day, a price is, you know, just what the market will bear at the point. So, you know, multiples can change widely over time and depending on the business. But, um, you, you know, what sort of issues do you see with business owners coming in with an idea of a multiple that they think is applicable? And then, and how are you driving, how are you finding the multiples to use as comparisons, I guess? Yeah, look, I guess uh, it varies. So, some business owners will come to us with sensible multiples and understand where they sit in their particular industry. Others have more, got more lofty aspirations um, and believe that they may have a, a higher value and that, that could be driven for a particular reason. Um, and we also have, I guess, acquirees that are willing to pay a higher multiple for a particular strategic reasons. So, you know, it's not all, as you say, it's not always the just the multiple and it, and it can be different for different reasons if there's a strategic fit uh, for a particular target. Um, I guess how we go about work looking at that, uh, I guess we've got access to um, our valuation specialists. We've also got access to, I guess, market transactions and databases that we look at in terms of particular industries and research that we can share with our our clients in terms of, okay, well, this is what this particular, in this industry at the moment, these are sort of the businesses that have been sold. These are the multiples that are being generated. Um, and obviously, there's a lot of publicly available information, but we also have access to stuff that's not not public, necessarily publicly available. Mm-hmm. Do you, and do you have many instances where you go through the DD process and then you use that to help reevaluate price? Yeah, quite often. Quite often, uh, we did a transaction. Uh, I think it was last year with a private equity firm, um, helping. I guess the existing owners of that particular restaurant, large restaurant business, to work out what the multiple should be to to exit. Um, and I guess we came up with a number of, I guess, examples of recent transactions um, and other information to help them sort of support that, support that, support that process. Other clients will ask for a full-blown valuation uh, to be performed to sort of work out what, what the, true, the true valuation uh, from a valuer's perspective of the business might be as well. So, it, var- it, var- it varies. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, then, if we swap around um, briefly, we've been talking a lot about DD from the side of acting for the acquirer. But if we look at, you know, sort of stepping in the seller's shoes here, um, they're staring down the barrel of a um, a buyer wanting to go through a DD process. Um, what can they do to put themselves in the best shape? You know, obviously, the aim of the game is for DD the DD process to not reveal too many holes <laughs> in the business, right? So, but but how do they put themselves in the in the place of number one, going through the DD process and having an outcome where uh, you know the buyer still continues with the transaction, doesn't try to drive down the price, uh, and number two, making it easy from a timeline perspective. Yeah, I think uh, if on the vendor due diligence side, I mean, we, we act for a lot of businesses that are looking to sell um, and quite often that can be um, 
through a variety of paths, um, trade sale, private equity, or, or even an IPO or, or, or listing. So I guess the key advice is, is start early. Um, think about it two to three to four years away, um, if possible. That's not always possible, but particularly if you're going to go down an IPO path, um, you need to prepare, start to prepare the business a fair way out to make sure that, you know, the financials are presented in the best possible light. So quite often uh, in our role, I mean, I'm also an audit partner as well, and we're working closely with businesses that are preparing to go down that exit path. So we're often looking in to work with them and, and, and advise them on how to present their financials in the best possible light. Accrete maximum shareholder value on, on exit, and a lot of that is around how do we drive EBITDA north uh, how do we make sure that you know accounting treatments and everything else are uh, complied with? And then obviously from a vendor due diligence side, you know we're looking to put together something for a potential investor or buyer of the business that presents that business in the best possible light. Uh, so it's about you know making sure that there's no hidden skeletons in the closet, so to speak. Um, and how do we help management? And uh, the board sort of iron those out so that when DD is is done, we've done a lot of the heavy lifting already for um, the uh, acquirer. In so in so far as yes, they'll certainly send in their own people to do DD. But a lot of the qu- you would hope that ninety percent, ninety five percent of the questions are are answered. Okay, and then uh, what sort of timeline um, should, and, and I guess this is relevant to both sides of the transaction, but what sort of timeline from your perspective are realistic for the parties to set aside for DD? You know, assuming that they're in the position where they want to move as you know quickly as possible but not urgently, <laughs> as sometimes happens. Yeah, look, I guess a, a transaction window, uh, it, it varies, I guess, Typically based on size, but not always. That's not always the main driver. But um, I've had DD processes that where we're helping a client, you know, sell their business, and it can take a few months or a month or two. Others can take a longer period of time. Um, but I guess in terms of the DD and financial DD process, quite often, and vendor DD process, quite often for us, that could be anywhere as short as a week or two weeks, up to a number of months. So again, it really does depend on the size of the the the, the business and what they're looking to to do. Obviously, a, an IPO is very different to a, a trade sale to, to, to private equity. Jumping back to the examples here, as I said before, I just love the stories. Um, what sort of things have you found? Like, are there any notable things that you recall finding during a DD process that were, um, you know? Uh, very surprising. Anything that uh, you know really stood out in your years of um, of this sort of work? Uh, yeah, I mean, you always f- uh, uh, uncover some <laughs> skeletons in the closet, I guess. Uh, we want to hear the biggest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I mean, I think it's probably things like where you know, not not particularly sexy or exciting, but um, you know, you might be looking at um, provisions, for example, that are, that are really understated. Uh, in a particular area, like I can think of an example where a client had a large uh, rehabilitation provision that hadn't been recognised. They needed to make good some some um, some assets at the end of a end of an agreement, um, and that was in the millions of dollars. Um, they kept it off the balance sheet, um, and and that that significantly impacted the purchase price and. 
what, what was going to happen. Uh, other examples have come out in the tax due diligence process where there's there's problems with the ATO in terms of um, tax obligations and 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 whatnot, uh, and of, of a material nature that you know led to ultimately led to legal action. So those sort of things yeah, that uh, come out. Um, you want to pick up before uh, you're sitting in the driver's seat of that business. Right? Absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> and which is what ties into your process with the the legal the legal due diligence and making sure that you know we've got the appropriate uh, safeguards in place. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, wonderful, Luke. Well, look, I think that uh, we've covered a quite a bit of territory today. I love some of those stories. <laughs> oh, thank you, Joanna. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Now, look, if our listeners want to get in contact with you, how do we do that? Yeah, look, I guess uh, they can uh, contact me at um, obviously at Prosperity Advisors. Uh, I'll be able to, to, to look up the, uh, the website. And we'll put a link through in our show notes just in case you're running along right now listening to this. You can pop into the show notes and, and see how you can contact Luke. Yeah, that'd be great. And look, I'm happy to help anyone um, talk through due diligence process and, you know, uh, how we can work uh, collaboratively for, with any of your listeners, Joanna, and, um, you know, particularly on the, um, the M&A side where, you know, there might be people out there that um, have got potential businesses that are looking to merge with others or, or, or to sell or, 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 or vice versa, find a target. So I'm happy to talk to uh, any of your listeners. Great. Wonderful. Okay. Well, look, Luke, thank you so much for your time. It's been um, really interesting talking about this area. I know due diligence on the face of it from an accounting perspective may not sound exciting, but you've certainly made it very interesting for us with all your stories. Good work. Thanks, Luke. Great. Thank you very much. Well, that concludes today's overview of the basic concepts in financial due diligence in the context of business sales and acquisitions transactions with our guest, Luke Malone of Prosperity Advisors. Now, due diligence is obviously a very important component of an acquisition, but hopefully today we've given you a bit to think about in terms of the considerations about working out the appropriate level of DD, both on the basis of the commercial realities of a deal balanced with the risk profile of the buyer and the transaction. As always, it continues to be the case that using advisors in a sale process who understand what they're doing is fundamental to helping strike that right balance, both in keeping tight on timeframes and providing the right level needed without going overboard. Well, look, if you are interested in learning more about this topic, then you can reach out to Luke and his team at Prosperity Advisors by checking out our show notes at www.thedealroompodcast.com. There will link you through to Prosperity Advisors' website, and you'll also find a full transcript of this podcast episode if you'd like to read it in more detail. And of course, if you are a business or you work with businesses who would like to have a chat about determining the right level of legal DD for a potential acquisition or in gearing up for a sale, our team of Legal Eagles would be only too happy to have a free chat about an appropriate and commercial approach from the legal perspective. Just pop over to our website at www.aspectlegal.com 
www.thepowerofpositivity.com.au and there you can have access to a calendar where you can book in a time to speak to either me or one of our other legal eagles as part of Aspect Legal. Well, that's it for today. Hopefully you enjoyed what you heard. If you did, please subscribe to the Deal Room podcast on iTunes or your other favourite podcast player to get notifications straight to your phone whenever a new episode is out. Well, thanks again for listening in. This has been Joanna Oki and the Deal Room podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Aspect Legal has a number of great services that help businesses prepare for a sale or acquisition to help them prepare in advance and to get transaction ready. We've also got a range of services to help guide businesses through the sale and acquisitions process. We work with clients both big and small and have different types of services depending on size and complexity. We provide a free consultation to discuss your proposed sale or acquisition. So see our show notes on how to book a time to speak with us or head over to our website at aspectlegal.com.au. Ladies and gentlemen, that will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening to The Deal Room Podcast. To find out more about this episode and other episodes in the series, check out the show notes or head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com.au. 